Yo, what is up, my friends? On this episode of NC Raw, we traveled again to Asheville. We went to hang out with my good friends, Miss Jill Love Phoenix and my dude, Mr. Kevin Krizniak. Uh, they invited me into their home to record a podcast. We've been talking about doing it for over a year now, and we're finally able to make it happen. Um, they prepared an awesome meal and we got to hang out and spend some good quality time together and really like get to kick it before, uh, we sat down and recorded the podcast. Awesome conversation. Really got to know them, uh, in depth. We talked to them about their passions. Uh, we talked to Jill about yoga, Kundalini, um, mindfulness, meditation. And we also got to talk to Kevin about, um, a little bit about his story about kind of we got into some of his story and returning to use and what that process was like um, a little bit about refuge recovery and then his passion which is wild mushroom foraging so it was a it was an awesome conversation I had a blast I hope that it radiates out um, into the podcast so with that being said give it up for Jill Phoenix and Kevin Krizniak. The opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed. We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals. Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Ready, set, go. What is up, my friends? What up? Jill Love Phoenix mm-hmm. and my man Kevin Krizniak. Mm-hmm. And my man Steven. That's I right. always like to call you Stein, but that ain't right. It's Steen. Steen. Yeah. All the time. Steven Stein. Does I'm it? like, it's not Stein. It's the same thing. Like I was just asking you about butchering the name. And I, get, <laughs> I get that every day. So it but is he, all good. He makes up nicknames for everyone. I, I'm so. one of those guys too. <laughs> yeah. I'm one of those guys too. If I know you long enough, give me about I don't know. Dude. If I see you every day, it'll take about a month. But if we see you bump into <laughs> each other like once a week. Within like the first 90 days, you will have a nickname. <laughs> I promise you that. Yeah. So, um, Long time no see. Yeah, it's hey. good to see you. Thank you guys for inviting me into your lovely home, mm-hmm. feeding me an amazing dinner, <laughs> and sitting down to talk with us tonight. So, yeah. Thank um, you for coming all the way up here. I love here. having your energy here. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. yeah. We uh we talked about this like a year ago. Mm-hmm. Right. We were at the Refuge Recovery Regional Conference in Nashville. Is that when we yeah. kind of mm-hmm. the conversation started? 
Um, and I think we were like just getting the ball rolling with NC Raw yeah. at that time. And uh, we talked about doing like a couples thing and like maybe some yoga stuff was like discussed and, um, you know, things just like life happened and here we are today <laughs> to do here the thing. So um, thanks again for the invitation. Yeah, thank um, you. Excited to have this conversation with the two of you and get to know you guys. You know, that's what this is all about is like, uh, I was telling you before we started that I feel so privileged and like getting to meet such amazing individuals and getting to know them on such a personal level, like mm-hmm. once, twice, sometimes three times a week. It's fucking awesome. That is pretty awesome. So who are you guys? You guys are a couple living here in Asheville. Mm-hmm. Who's Jill? What do you do? Mm-hmm. What are you up to? <laughs> Let's see. Starting well, with a big, well, heavy question. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're going to be here for a while because I'm a pretty big deal. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I have lived in Asheville since 2002. And... I've been through many life changes since I've been here, but uh, I am a hairstylist three days a week, but my real passion is teaching yoga and also being a student of yoga. And so that's kind of my, my everyday jam. That's what Mm -hmm. I'm totally into. And uh, I'm halfway, well, I'm three quarters of the way through a teacher training right now for a lineage of yoga called Kundalini. And that's just totally transformed my life. And we've been together a little over three years now, off and on, and uh, mostly on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure the off part will come up here. That <laughs> will surface soon <laughs> why the off part was there, but uh, he's, he's, I'll let you him tell you about him, but he is definitely my, my best teacher and my best friend, and I'm a pretty lucky girl. And what about you? <laughs> How do you how do you top that, man? <laughs> try, <laughs> just try. try. No. <laughs> so this this question is actually interesting because it came up before. I've brought it up before at meetings. Is is like, who are you? And instantly we all want to go to our career, right, or our job, or you know, what do you do for a living? This, this identity that we right. carry around. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's much more than that. Mm-hmm. So. I still struggle with that question. Like, I don't, I'm not sure, but you're viewing it from the Buddhist eyes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just a, a being, right? Uh-huh. So, um, I'm gonna answer the same way, sort of, though the cliche way. And, um, you know, my biggest passion is mushroom foraging. Mm-hmm. That's my thing. I feel like I'm part mushroom. <laughs> I see the resemblance. <laughs> that's 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 my thing. I think but I mentioned to you he sits in the dark a lot. Yeah, so he did. He's kind of mushroom-like. <laughs> but also being a, a parent, you know what I mean. That's top of the list. You know, being a partner is is big. Being a person in recovery and uh, being a counselor now, um, all that stuff. It's all mingles. Doing art, um, it all mingles together. So gumbo soup. Gumbo soup. <laughs> <laughs> what do they ha- what do they call it in the south? They got something in the south. A, a nice hodgepodge of they do. What is that? Jambalaya. 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 Yeah. I want to say chow chow. Chow chow. That's one of those jumbled together <laughs> <laughs> things. How long have you been doing the um foraging? Like where did that how when did that start? Moving here. Yeah. Moving here it started. So uh, it piqued my interest in Florida when I lived there, so I went from Florida to here. And what piqued my interest was palms. 
like so many palms and there was all these little fruits on there and i was like mm, i wonder if i can eat these and i really wanted to know so what moving here i got into the forest very different mountains very different than the flatlands you know and there's like mushrooms and there's all these cool plants and flowers and like so much to like look at so much life yes mm-hmm. so much life so that was nine years ago and once i got that little taste of i want to know that's when it all began. So, so the curiosity began with like visually, kind of like seeing them out in nature. It wasn't something of like from a nutritional initially from a nutritional like perspective. It was more of like a curiosity, like, hey, what is all this? What is all this? What's yeah. going on out here? Yeah, yeah. It was more like, ooh, I want to know what these are, but yeah. I want to eat them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but now it's kind of transformed and probably to like when as you're doing mm-hmm. as you're selecting what it is that you're looking for or that you're picking that um somewhere an underlying point there's you're concerned with what type of nutritional value you're going to get or what type of medicinal value exactly it'll provide yeah like i mean ideally i want to be dealing with medicinals mostly because mm-hmm. i want to be helping people and i want to be giving medicine to people and um that's where it's at now for me is like I I have this small category of good medicinal mushrooms that are my specialty, sort of. Jill, you uh, get in on the mushroom foraging game? Oh, yeah. Yeah? She's good. Oh, yeah. She's good? I've got quite the eye, She's got an eye? Uh It took Uh a little bit for it to, what do you call it, for me to earn my mushroom Mm -hmm. (laughs) eye-ness. But, yeah, I can definitely get down with some mushroom foraging and... it's fascinating like you start getting out into an area where like there's nothing here but you start looking and they're just like bam 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 bam. it's so much fun Mm -hmm. and then getting to see which ones you can eat and seeing the different colors and and being somebody in recovery like as you maneuver in your daily life and you tell somebody that yeah you know i'm a mushroom forager like the first thing comes <laughs> up is like, dude, let me get some. Let me get some, bro. Yeah. Like, what do you see? What do you see? <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, um, just like navigating those waters mm. and like clearing the air, and that like I'm not a psychedelic mushroom forager. That right. I'm I'm strictly in it for when I say medicinal value, mm. like it's true, authentic medicinal purposes. Um, I'm fascinated with like to learn what some of these medicinal properties and um, nutritional value and stuff like that. I'm fascinated to learn like what the power of these mushrooms and like Mm -hmm. what it is that they can do and provide for someone because they're everywhere, dude, where Mm -hmm. I live up in the mountains, man, I'll just go for like a little stroll. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even have to rain with like, because I live in like a rainforest. So it doesn't even have to rain like within the last couple of days. It's rained within the last like week. Like there's literally like mm-hmm. dozens of species that I am not skilled enough to identify. Uh, however, I have been curious as to like, hey, what is there anything here that could potentially like benefit me? I'm specifically interested in like cognitive performance, like mm-hmm. nootropic type stuff and things like that. I know like it's kind of like hip in like the supplement world. It's like the mushroom vitamins mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm kind of interested, specifically interested in that. But if you would like maybe talk a little bit just about um, 
what are some of the properties that these mushrooms do? Sure. Carry, provide. And I'm coming your way. Yeah, that's yeah. We're, we're doing we're it. Going. Yeah, we're doing <laughs> it. We're yeah, going. We are putting doing on it. boots and we're going. <laughs> in the woods. My boots are ready, sir. I got I got a six year old yeah. that just runs <laughs> through the woods, dude. Yes. So it's it's interesting that you brought up cognitive and the brain. Um, lion's mane is the mushroom. Okay. The mushroom for that specifically. So lion's mane is this big white mushroom. Looks like uh, teeth coming off it. Um, looks like you'd be in a cave and you'd see something like lion's mane growing. But um, great for the brain. Really good for focus. Really good for memory um, function. It helps regenerate cells in your brain. Okay. And it's powerful mushroom, but it tastes great. Okay. It tastes mm -hmm. like uh, crab meat. Cr no shit. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorites. Oh, <laughs> I say that about like all the edible mushrooms i'm like that's one of my favorites yeah, but yeah. lion's mane is delicious like when he finds when i found lion's mane mm -hmm. when either one of us have found lion's mane there's a discussion do we tincture it do we eat it okay do, i usually am like i want to eat it <laughs> yeah that's the debate right so you can make medicine from these mushrooms or you can eat them and you're still getting a lot of good value um tea a lot of people make tea out of certain mushrooms too um, cool thing about lion's mane, no poisonous lookalikes. Gotcha. That's really important. Which that's, that's a big reason why I never like ventured into like, even reading a book, I was like, I didn't feel comfortable like right. picking anything. That's huge, huge warning, right? big yeah. time warnings. Oh. Exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh. So there, there is some lookalikes to it, but they're also have good value to them. Mm -hmm. So they're good to eat as well. Um, so that's lion's mane and that's for the brain. Um, my favorite mushroom that I love to forage that is my baby is um, chaga. Mm -hmm. And chaga is a really interesting mushroom. Yeah, go ahead and tell us what that is. Because I never even heard of it until, you know, until I s connected with you. And mm -hmm. then, like, you're like, from what I see on social media, not only are you fascinated with this mushroom, but you're like the chaga man of Asheville. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mr. Mushroom. No, I don't know if I'm the man, but... Um, yeah, I love it. I love it. It was the first mushroom I learned that wasn't like a mushroom. Like you think of a mushroom, you think of... It doesn't look like a mushroom. Nothing like mm -hmm. it. Yeah, so no cap, no stem. Mm -hmm. You know, it's this big knot on the tree, essentially. And um, I'll start from the beginning about this, and I could talk for hours about this mushroom, but... <laughs> How much of this have you heard, Joe? Oh, I I can give the same speech at this okay. point. When we do tailgate markets and stuff, I'm oh, like, yeah. you handle them. I'm over here. Oh, yeah. I showed my I showed my girlfriend's son a picture of you. I think the one that you sent me on the website, and I showed him a picture of you holding it, and he was like, "What is that? A rock?" Right. And I was like, "Great." Yeah. And I get, is that burnt wood? Mm -hmm. Is that charcoal? What is that? Um, so many, and it's funny because some people will be like, "Oh, that's beautiful." You know, really enamored know. by it, right? Yeah. And other people are like, ugh, that's a mushroom. Like, that's <laughs> ugly. You want me to eat that? <laughs> I love it. I love it. So when I learned this mushroom, it stood out from all the rest cause just because of its appearance. Um, but also that it can be tricky to find. And that makes it a nice little hunt, you know, like or a treasure hunt while you're out there, which is interesting. So that's what really drew me into it. But the more I started to learn about it, the more it was like, this is the top. So in, in Chinese medicine, chaga is the king. It's the king of herbs. Um, it's top of the list. Um, reishi is another one that's right there too. But um, chaga is a super mushroom, super herb. And what that means is that it's good for all kinds of things in the body. 
And um, I think I think it's it's most potency is your immune system. So okay. it builds up the immune system, makes that strong and healthy, um, which plays in your everyday life. I haven't been sick in years, and that's huge, huge no this joke. time of year. Everybody's no joke. Sick He's right not now. exaggerating. I've never seen him sick. Wow. How often do you yeah. consume it? Every day. Every day. Every day for the last nine years. Wow. <laughs> What's the best way to prepare it? The tea or? I do the tea. Yeah. Um, I take the tincture as well. So I get a double dose, mm-hmm. which is fine. Um, great thing about chaga, there's no toxic compounds in it. So you can't OD on it. Mm-hmm. So that's good. And no psychoactive properties again. No just, psychoactive, yeah. nothing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I also have arthritis in my knees. Okay. And I hike a lot. So I get inflammation a lot. And chaga is anti-inflammatory. Another big, big part of it. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. And then going from there, um, it's got the highest antioxidants of anything on the planet. Any food, any medicine, it's huge. Um, Great for your skin. So it's black on the outside, and all that black stuff's called melanin. So oh, what that does is it protects the mushroom because chaga likes high elevations. It grows up 4,000 feet and above, and it loves the cold, and it loves just that that harsh environment. Um, it's only medicinal on a birch tree, which is my favorite tree, too. Another draw. So it's only medicinal on a birch tree. Right? Right. It's something with the, the way that the tree interacts with the mushroom. Yeah. It'll, it'll grow on other trees, but it's only... right. Okay. So the birch tree itself is medicinal. Okay. Everything from mm. the bark to the leaves. I was not aware of that. And so when the the chaga is a parasite and it goes into the middle of the tree and it just sucks all of the nutrients out, which eventually will kill the tree, but it's just putting all of this good medicine right into the mushroom that we get to consume later. It's Dude. magic. That is magic, man. It's magic. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um. Oh, and let me throw in there that it's anti-tumor. So a lot of studies have shown that it reduces the size of cancerous tumors. And that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. How do you prepare it once you've found it? How do you prepare it to make tea or to Mm -hmm. manufacture the tincture? So chaka is different than other mushrooms because it's a process and it's, it's not an easy process. So once you find it and it's this big knot, really hard, um, you have to break that down. And I don't, are you a good cle- tree climber? You climb I used trees? To be. I <laughs> used to be. I've fallen out of some trees <laughs> and that slowed me down a little bit. It's up in the air, right? Right. Pretty high? Right. Yeah. Totally, I've uh, gotten good at rock throwing, though. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah he, he used to get mad at me because I would ask him to tell me where he was going hiking. He's like, in the woods, babe. And I'm like, need a location. And he's like, <laughs> I've been doing this for years. I'm like, one time you fall and hit your head i'm not gonna know where you are like at least tell me the direction let me know the general area which he has gotten better at and my son witnessed that he watched me fall out of a tree one time we were, we were out foraging together and he's like oh don't ever do that you <laughs> <He> started practicing <laughs> throwing rocks after yeah, that yeah, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah so you get it out of the tree um and the the really important part is to be sustainable about it so you don't want to like take all the chaga you can get. It's really important to leave about 25% of the chaga in the tree. That way it can regrow. Okay. And it's a gift that keeps giving, which is beautiful. Um, chaga kills the tree um, eventually. It grows out of the middle of the tree and it'll take over the tree. Um, but 
So once you have your, your big knot that you've foraged, you need to bring it home and you need to smash it to pieces, which um, if, if you're a big company, you throw it in a grinder and no problem, right? But um, I'm old school, I'm traditional. I like to do it by hand. I got a mallet and a, and a cardboard box <laughs> and I smash up my chaga by for hand hours. for hours. Stress relief. Yeah. It's good for people in recovery to smash things. <laughs> yes. But then you have to dry it. And it has to, I like to put it out in the sun. It collects vitamin D from the sun while it's, while it's sitting there. Um, once it's dry, you can store it. You keep it forever. Um, but then you make your tea or your tincture out of it from there. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a process. It is. Um, you also kind of have a business around this stuff. Mm -hmm. So for someone that might be interested in um, this particular medicine, but may not know where to start, they can purchase some from you, mm -hmm. but they can also connect with you for uh, excursions, for hikes, mm -hmm. for trips. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and plug that real quick. I'll plug get this get it out of the way since we're, sure. on, since we're on that topic. Sure. So, so, and I appreciate the moment to do that. Um, my business is called Blue Ridge Chaga Connection. And um, just last year, I started doing the walks. And Jill kind of definitely pushed me in that direction. I was like, you need to oh, do yeah. this. You need yeah. to do this. And um, when I did it, it took off. And I loved it. Um, and, and this is something I'm going to talk about more later, hopefully. But um, this discussion came up was, what do you do when you find a passion that you really enjoy? You share it, right? And that makes you feel better about it. And it's like, just talking about this before yes, we started. Yeah. Yes. And then it grows. Uh -huh. Exactly. That's the beauty of it. So leading the walks was like, I got a quick rush out of it. I loved it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, it was being addicted in a good way. Yeah. But um, I, I really enjoy those. Now, I don't take people on chaga hunts. Um, I do do all the edible mushrooms and okay. many medicinals. Um, Chaga is a tough, it's a tough hike and not a lot of people can go do that. And I'm not saying that in a, you know, arrogant way. It's just, uh, it's just the way it is. It, it can be difficult. Um, but yeah, so I do the, I do the walks, but I also do presentations so people can come and learn like, how do you forage Chaga? Where did Chaga come from? How does it grow? Like, uh, you know, I can go over <laughs> all that stuff and, um, I'm, I'm very open about sharing all that information because right information's power and you know that's how people learn Certainly. and they they want to know. So it sounds like uh you started this conversation off stating that you're a person in recovery. It sounds like this process has become very therapeutic for you in this journey of recovery and um getting out there for your like individual self and then also like as a form of service and giving back to the community mm -hmm. and kind of like providing that level of fulfillment and value and meaning to your life like you talked about something that you're passionate about right like, mm -hmm. um, so long so many people just like are they need that push that mm -hmm. joe gave you they're like we're all we're like afraid of we're the fear of failure right like we're like no, I don't want to do, I don't want to start a podcast. Nobody's going to listen. You right. know, I don't want to, who's, who's going to want to go on a, on a, <laughs> on a hiking trip to find mushrooms with me. And then your friends, like me being one of them, I open up my Instagram and I see the joy on people's faces mm -hmm. as they are holding a, 
baskets full <laughs> of mushrooms. No, really. Like I yeah. s- every weekend, like over the summer and stuff, I would see pictures and like people were like stoked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like I'm sure you get amazing feedback from the individuals once they take them home, prepare them, cook them, eat them, whatever it is. Yeah. I told you I met a guy today. I went over to Mountain View Recovery and I met a guy. He was asking me who was coming on the podcast. I told him you and he was like, yeah, I went on a on a hunt with him. He was talking about chicken in the woods and he was like holding his arms out like this. He's like, that guy knows where the biggest chicken in the woods is. I, and I, was, like, I was like, yeah, he does, dude. He totally does. So like, talk about, talk a little bit about what that, thera- that therapeutic process and like what this provides mm-hmm. to your recovery and like what, what it means to you, you know, outside of the, you know, joy of taking folks and a little bit of money that it might bring to you mm-hmm. what else does it does it's it huge. do for you yeah. definitely huge and i'm glad you brought that up because this process of recovery it needs you need a passion i really believe that and um, people find it along the way if they don't initially have it but <clears throat> for me it was a healthy place to put my energy you know and um something to do with myself uh, in one way to put it. But, um, you know, the idea of the, the natural healing means so much more to me in recovery than it ever did. You know, I, I kind of started all this in addiction. Mm-hmm. And there's no way I would be successful at any of this if I was still in addiction. Like, I'd be a mess. And I'd be, like, stumbling around people, you know, <laughs> in the forest and <laughs> probably pointing out the wrong mushrooms and... But heavy heavy liability there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I mean, that's the scary part about teaching people mushrooms is they're their own people and they're going to go out. And I've had people be like, oh, I ate this mushroom. And they'll show me a picture. And I'll be like, oh, no. Like, are, <laughs> do we need to go to the hospital? Free walk. <laughs> not, <laughs> not. And that's always a disclaimer when you take people on walks. But, yeah, I mean, sharing it, you get your sense of community, which is mega in recovery. You know, you have to have the right people and healthy people around you and you know being able to share it with people in recovery is really special to me too because I see people that didn't so much have a passion that like now they their passion's mushrooms too mm-hmm. and that's I was like oh well, it makes me feel so you know like I want to cry a little bit and yeah it's it's good stuff it's beautiful man yeah. now Jill your passion your hairdresser that hair is not designer my no and offense your passion, Love you guys. Let me set it up. I'm setting you up. I'm setting you up. (laughs) And your passion happens to be yoga. Mm -hmm. And um, you're a yoga teacher. Where do you teach at? What do you teach? What does that Mm. What does that do for you? When did you start? Oh God, Uh, all these questions. Uh, So I started doing yoga in 1998 with a before it was like super hip. A VHS tape Uh and a yoga mat in my. my living room and uh, I was actually married at the time to an addict I have this thing for addicts so (laughs) I'm an addict for an addict so uh and he we started to have a lot of issues once I found out he was um kind of I thought he was using again so I started I found this video found this yoga mat and I started getting on the mat and um so that was in 1998 and then I kind of dipped in and out of it just lifestyle. I was traveling for three years in my Volkswagen bus. Nowhere really, you know, I just didn't. Badass, by the way. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Didn't really have the, 
commitment at that point to want to make it part of my daily practice. And then when I landed in Asheville in 2002, a friend of mine, uh, Shannon DeClaw, if you're watching, hey, Shannon, uh, she used to teach at a studio that I'm just now getting the opportunity to start teaching at. It's like this beautiful full circle, but it's West Asheville Yoga in uh, West Asheville in Haywood. And she came in one time and I did her hair and we just became friends. And so then she started teaching yoga and I was like, oh, I'm going to come to your class. And so every week for, I don't even remember how long I w went to her class and it really started to get me back in there. And then marriage number two, to an addict. And <laughs> I stopped doing self-care and I got out of it again and just went into full codependent mode and like needed to be needed and run the show and blah, 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 blah. And um, our marriage ended, thankfully, in 2015, and I moved out, and a friend of mine invited me to go to a class at Asheville Community Yoga, and I was like, yes, that would be great. So I went with her, and now they can't keep me out of there. <laughs> 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 Literally. Uh -huh. Hi, ladies. Truth. Namaste. Um, and Michael. Um, but they, that place is such... A beautiful environment and it's a non-profit uh, donation-based studio so myself and all the other teachers teach for free and make it accessible for everybody in the area to come and do yoga whether they can afford to do it or not but I started going there and literally would be there sometimes two three days a week or a day I'm sorry two three days two to three times a day every day of the week I was always in there um and then in 2016, I decided to go through their teacher training program. So I got my certification there. And then I started teaching there, I think it was 2016. Yeah, like a month after I graduated. Yeah, it was nine months. A month after I graduated and got my certification, I started teaching there. And I've been teaching. Right now, I teach a meditation class on Wednesday nights at 6.15. And then on Fridays, I teach uh, Gentle Flow at 12.15. But I, I volunteer a lot and, and uh, step in and stub, sub when I can. I was teaching like three classes up until a couple weeks ago. And I let one of them go just for my schedule-wise. But So I teach there. And then I also, like I mentioned, I'm going to start subbing and hopefully stepping into a regular class at West Asheville Yoga at the end of this month on the 28th. I'm subbing for a teacher there. And then I'm, I just started teaching a Kundalini class, which is my jam last Friday at long time sun in Fairview on Fridays at 10 in the morning. It sounds like the initial like dive back into the yoga practice. Like you, you kind of got a little bit of a little taste of what, it could offer a little bit of relief when you needed it mm -hmm. years years ago, and then having gone through somewhat of a difficult breakup, difficult marriage, kind of went back to what you knew. Mm -hmm. what, yeah, it was like muscle memory. Muscle memory. <laughs> that's that's what that's a lot what, like what my experience was just with meditation. Um, was that like I was forced to go to DUI school to get my driver's license mm. back for DUI number two mm. and I just happened to pick like the treatment that was closest to my house that was cheapest the most affordable and closest to my house so I could ride my bike there I walked in the door and the guy just happened to be teaching meditation like I'm talking about real simple stuff like our my 13 weeks of group therapy was 
basic breathing meditation, like mm. lay on your back and breathe. A little bit of candle gazing and stuff like that, but real simple stuff. And it 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 took me for those for the hour that I was there, like took me out of the chaos that was oh, going yeah. on upstairs. So, you know, once I completed the program, I went right back to doing what I was doing. I, didn't, I wasn't there because I had to be. Mm. However, when shit did get real and I was ready to change, I immediately began looking up meditation-based approaches to recovery, and that's how I found refuge. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so because I had had that experience seven years prior, I knew that I knew that it would work for me because it, it provided some relief in that one hour that I was there. So mm-hmm. I went back. And it sounds like that was a somewhat of a similar experience. Yeah, I mean, and that's what yoga is. It's moving meditation, mm-hmm. right? And um, the physical asana part of it was only really introduced and developed in order to be able to sit. Yeah. And so it's really neat that if you're in the, you know, the right zone or, you know, right element, then it is just moving meditation. And it's amazing to, for me, my recovery is, um, I identify with being a person in recovery from an eating disorder and um, body shaming and all these different kinds of issues that come into that world when you're you know looking at yourself in a mirror and you see the funhouse mirror and everybody else sees Jill you know but it's not like that when you're in that world and getting onto a mat and learning how to breathe and connect and go inward instead of trying to focus on you know what it looks externally and it's it's so deep I mean I that first year i I probably cried on my mat more than I did anything. And it was such a release. It was amazing. Like I'd walk in in this great mood and get on my mat. And I don't know what happened. I would just be a puddle of tears and just be in child's pose or just going through it, tears streaming down my face, you know, and just teaching yourself how to be vulnerable and and give yourself the opportunity to be so that you can heal. And it's been one of the most therapeutic elements in my life i mean it really has so many it so many people specifically in like early recovery um could benefit from both a meditation and specifically Mm -hmm. a a yoga practice however like we didn't um may or may not have like taken care of ourselves physically for so many years right Mm -hmm. and we like have this perception of like the yoga teacher and the yoga mats and we're all flexible and holding these poses and all this stuff and that's like probably a false sense of reality that's about that much yeah and that's a false sense of reality and so like how do we like encourage folks to like overcome that fear and like walk in because a lot of folks aren't going to walk into a a a yoga class um not clueless and not having any ideas like most people probably would start like messing around on youtube you know and like Mm -hmm investigating what it is right mm-hmm. um and so like my, i guess my question is like where would you suggest somebody start somebody that's interested in a practice somebody in early recovery why are you can, can i, I squash something real quick yes. though yeah all right so like a lot of people have this perception like yoga is like tight pants and like it's girls mm-hmm. and you have to be super bendy 
like none of that is reality. You know what I mean? There's lots of different kinds of yoga, but if if you really like get to the heart of it, it's so good for the body and it's so good for recovery. I say always grab a friend, especially when you're in early recovery, yeah. grab a friend and go and you'll realize like that intimidation once you get in there, it's just like melt away. Yeah, like gone. It's, yeah. Gone. But yeah. That's so hot. You just answered that for me. <laughs> I just working. It's just working. Um, it's interesting because, yeah, I always tell people I have so many people that I talk to about yoga. I mean, I'm a hairstylist. I'm talking to people all day long, but even just out and about. And I hear that so many times. Mm. I want to do yoga, but I'm too fat. Mm. I'm not bendy. I'm not flexible. I'm mm. not this. Mm. I'm not that. I'm like, can you breathe? You can do yoga. First of all, you're probably breathing wrong. Let me teach you. <laughs> Guarantee it. You're probably not breathing right. But, I mean, honestly, for me, I teach the gentle class. I'm not that I'm plugging for myself. I sort of am, but I'm not. Um, the Friday class at Asheville Community Yoga at 1215 is a gentle class that I teach. And a lot of the times, I mean, it's on the refuge um, newsletter every mm -hmm. week and I, for a long time I had a really good showing of people in refuge that would come to that class and um, so where are you guys at keep coming back yeah but uh, no I would definitely tell people to if you can get a friend to go with you but always just start out with a gentle class and mm -hmm. just go in there and roll around on the floor for a little bit and get comfortable with hearing the terms most people don't drop Sanskrit so it's not so intimidating. Mm -hmm. um, I have teachers that drop Sanskrit words, and I'm like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Give me the common terms. But to start out with a gentle class, a DVD is great. YouTube is great. Like anything to get you moving and breathing. And I personally like classes because I like to be in a community, even if I don't talk to anybody. I like mm -hmm. to feel like I'm being held and supported in that way especially in early recovery, but I also get that it could be super intimidating and uncomfortable for people to go into that environment. But I always say don't just go once and yeah. say that's it. Go to a different class. Go to a different studio. Go to a different teacher. Hear a different voice until you find the one that resonates with you and that gets you connecting with your breath and slowing down your mind and just giving yourself an hour like that is such a beautiful gift to give yourself an hour to stop and be with you and like get in your own little island and be shown how to move your body in ways that you're probably not used to and how to, you know, connect with your mind and like, but in a compassionate, non-judgmental way. And that's, it's hard to do, but it's like a precious, precious gift to give ourselves, especially in today's world where everything's so fast and chaotic, loud. Yeah. and chaotic and you know it's overwhelming so it's any anything that can get you know if it's a youtube video that's perfectly fine that's how i started only mm -hmm. they were vhs tapes but it started you know and anything that gets you to just slow down and remove yourself from everything else for a little while is super important i like to find a buddy idea i really mm -hmm. do yeah I, I he's think he's brought a lot of um men <coughs> i don't think he's brought any women but men in early stages of recovery to yoga without me being the teacher i'm not even there like yeah. he'll he goes on his own and it's pretty awesome mm -hmm. yeah that's key and to Just be able to buddy. have 
the opportunity at a place like Astro Community Yoga, mm -hmm. where it's donation based, where you're not you don't feel obligated um, to or financially you know restricted on what you can or can't afford to mm -hmm. pay. It's mm -hmm. affordable and open to anybody. Right? Yeah, and I'm not downplaying the the benefit of paying at other studios yeah, either yeah. because it's all energy exchange and I think that's really important and that's actually something that I've been really sitting with for the last year is that um, paying for that energy exchange I mean there's other like West Asheville Yoga they do a sliding scale which is really great and it's you know eight to fifteen dollars for classes there and there's so many affordable modalities in Asheville which yeah. is wonderful for for yoga but um yeah i love Asheville community yoga just because that's kind of my that's my home yeah. and they're wonderful yeah, and to talk about variety there's 80 some teachers at, so i mean if one's not your flavor you got many to pick from to to really resonate with the teacher in a class you know mm -hmm. that's important and yoga will make you live like forever <laughs> and mushrooms there's no promises there's no, no this guy right here he is gonna live forever with if you do yoga, yoga while <laughs> eating yeah. mushrooms and ch drinking chaga tea you the, will live forever the 300 year old man <laughs> in recovery <laughs> i love it man um so many you know it's difficult I, i'm guilty of this myself it's difficult to start any new routine whether it's a meditation practice, whether it's a yoga practice, to incorporate that into this busy busy life that we live, even though we know the value. Like, it's clear to me. I know what meditating every single day will do to my life. Mm -hmm. When I walked into your house, you asked to me, based off of our last conversation last year, how's your meditation practice going? <laughs> because there was an accountability conversation that mm -hmm. went down. Um, and... I know that I should be med I know what meditating seven days a week will do for me, yet I still don't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, um, how, what are some techniques or what are some ways that one could incorporate a daily yoga practice? Like how do you establish that, that framework to, to have the momentum to do it and to show up every day? And like what? Well, First thing I want to say how is... How often should you show up, I guess, too? Oh, you know, well, like three times three a times day. A, three times, yeah, <laughs> it works for you. Who needs to work? <laughs> yeah. No, um, first thing I want to say is I think when most people say I don't meditate is you probably meditate and you don't even know yeah. it. Mm -hmm. And most of people, you know, like if you're washing dishes, that's meditation. Hopefully when you're driving, you're actually looking at the road, but that's still a form of meditation. Listening to music is meditation. Dancing is meditation. Mowing the lawn is meditation. So most people are doing it without even realizing they're doing it. It's just anytime you're giving yourself that, that moment of focus on one thing, hopefully one thing, it might be two, it might be three, but you know, coming back, oh, I'm mowing the lawn. I don't want to run my foot over. I mean, that's meditation. So start out small same thing with yoga like start out small something i think a lot of people do with you know new year's goals and all these things mm -hmm. is everybody starts out big you're setting yourself up to fail like don't remove that pressure from yourself and give yourself five minutes give yourself 10 minutes there's plenty of clips out there there's gaia tv there or gaia.com there's all these different things where apps, I'm told, I'm not the techiest, mm -hmm. so I don't use any of the apps. Um, but there's things out there where you can do a five-minute 
you know, a couple sun salutations, a couple, you know, roll around in your bed, pulling one knee over to one side. That's what I do every morning before I even get out of bed is I pull one knee into my chest and I do a twist and then I go to yeah. the other side and I do another twist and I pull my knees into my chest and my head up to my knees. I just did yoga. I'm good for, that's not my practice, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's my get out of bed practice. Yeah. But I mean, there's so many ways to just do 10 minutes. I mean, 10 minutes doesn't sound intimidating. An hour class might not fit into your schedule right now. Although I will give Asheville community yoga and Asheville yoga that I know. And I think Ash West Asheville, all three have classes up till eight o'clock at night. Okay. Some of them start at six mm -hmm. in the morning. So lots of opportunities. You can find an yeah. opportunity. If not, get an app, watch a YouTube video, take 10 minutes out of your day. 10 minutes out of your day really isn't that much when I think uh, the average uh consumer spends 4 to 6 hours looking at a screen amen. in their hand. Amen. You know. And like, they're looking at what? And I think that's know? 4 to 6 average. There's people that are on the high ends of 8 to 12, I'm sure, you know. Yeah, yeah. What, what's the saying about meditation if you got 20 minutes to an hour yeah, yeah. if if you or if you don't have if time, you don't have time yeah, for do, 20 do all day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's <laughs> yeah. 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 do yoga too. Yeah. yeah. And there's meditation apps out there. There's I mean I get the idea of, I can't turn my brain off. People come into my meditation class every single Wednesday, and I'm like, is this your first time meditating? I just can't turn my brain off. I'm like, well, wow, somebody gave you the wrong information of how this works. Mm -hmm. Buddha didn't even turn his brain off. Buddha mm -hmm. was contemplating. You know, It's finding a point of focus and just being like, if your racing mind is your point of focus, that's still a point of focus. If your point of focus is my knees going numb, my knees going numb, my knees going numb, my, you're not thinking about 19 other things over here. You're thinking about your knee going numb. So that counts, you know, just stopping and breathing. That counts. Like it's unrealistic to set yourself up for, I can't meditate. I can't turn my brain off. Who can? I can't. But that's why I like Kundalini. <laughs> Because Kundalini, um, a big part of the Kundalini practice is meditation and mantra. And so you're repeating a mantra or you're holding your arms up like this for, you know, six minutes. You're not thinking about anything other than the fact that your shoulder blades are burning, you mm -hmm. know. And then you start feeling the energy that it's moving in the body. And you're just like, wow, are my hands vibrating? My hands are vibrating. One day last week I was doing sadhana, which is an early morning practice at five in the morning. I go up to Long Time Sun and practice with Bob and we were doing this meditation and we were like opening our arms up like this for like 11 minutes. And I got done and I was like, Bob, are your hands like vibrating? <laughs> and he's like, that's the heart energy moving. And I'm like, that is crazy. My whole body was just like, I'm like, just to feel that in your body, that's meditation. I mean, you have to be paying attention to what you're doing and then you're repeating a word or a mantra or series of words and it's fascinating to me it's a complete i think i was telling you about mm -hmm. this that my meditation practice has really changed and that's kind of the route that it's gone other than just kind of sitting how did this kundalini come to you how did it come become a get onto your radar so i've always heard about it <coughs> and it's i was always heard that it was super weird yeah. And I was really resistant. That's what I've heard too. It's mm. it's and it is weird. Yeah, it's a in weird. such a fabulous way, but it's weird. And I don't think I was ready for it when I first heard about it years ago. I think I wasn't ready to go into that world. I was all about hatha, 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 move vinasa, vinasa, you know. And I have a friend named Tristan 
and he was coming to my classes a lot. We would go to classes together a lot. And one day he's like, you should come to um, this Kundalini class with me with Sierra Hollister. And I'd heard about Sierra for years, um, like years and years. She actually brought Kundalini to Asheville back in the late 90s. And so I was like, yeah, I'd love to take one of her classes. So we go in and we do this Kriya. The sequences in Kundalini are called Kriyas. We did this Kriya and... When I left, I was like ear to ear, just like, that was awesome. And we get outside and Tristan's like, I don't know what that was. <laughs> he did. He did. He said, I just didn't like that Korea at all. And I was like, that was awesome. And so I was there every week. Okay. And um, then Sierra offered a couple of different, she offered a five-day immersion that I did last year and then a three-day women's immersion. And I did that. And then I found out that they were bringing, she was bringing a teacher training here. And um, I was like, no, I can't, I can't do it. Like, there's no way. And But I really want to, and I really feel called to do it. And I sat with it, and I sat with it, I sat with it. And then we ended up moving into this house, and I have an Airbnb, <clears throat> and passed out an email to the group that I was in previously with the five-day immersion. And Sierra just instantly grabbed me and was like, I want to house the teachers at your house. Wow. And I was like, perfect deal huh? oh my god i totally have to do this so i've had these amazing teachers i mean amazing teachers in my home and amazing training that i'm doing right now with amazing 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 people and it's it's lit a spark for sure it's changed my whole yogic path but that's the whole thing i wanted to mention earlier too with like yoga it's not this isn't a hobby. <clears throat> like, this is my life. It's mm -hmm. totally changed my whole lifestyle, how I eat, how I, you know, talk, how I dress, how I present myself, how I practice, how everything, how I approach people. And it's it's a lot more than just being like, I teach yoga. Now get out of my way. You know, yeah. like, it's different. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Where did you guys, how did you guys meet? Where did this <laughs> relationship start? <laughs> we're 45 minutes into this thing you know right go for it <laughs> okay so okay. Birth. <laughs> birth. <laughs> the birth the actual birth of it came from tinder okay right. i didn't know what tinder was <laughs> i was newly single i've been married for 15 years total and that lasted you know, i've had like five or six maybe seven couples on this podcast before and this is the first tinder hookup that, that, that we've had well it wasn't tinder so hookup two years strong we didn't yeah we, we saw each other we on noticed there. each other on there yeah. but then it, it graduated to okay cupid i got oh. off of there as soon as i kept getting messages from Weirdos. other people i was like ew i'm not that kind of and girl i was like oh we, there's, we, this, there's the guy the same guy yeah, yeah. exactly uh -huh. and then it became a date from there it was not a date uh, it wasn't always... a date to her <laughs> He, okay, on my profile, I said no dads and no smokers. And there was a picture was of his both, son and smoking a cigarette. And I was like, sorry, <laughs> dude, I can't get down with that. I mean, did you read my profile? Yoga, meditation, like healthy eating. Did you notice any of that? And he's like, I did. <laughs> he's like, Bold. but my son, he yeah. said, my son is 15 and lives with his mom and I'm trying to quit. And I was like, you're still a dad and you still smoke, still but smoking. nice yeah. try. Yeah. And he was like, well, you can't have too many friends. You want to just, we were both drinking at the time. Do you want to meet for a beer? And I was like, all right, whatever. Sure, I'll meet you. And I walked into that bar and I saw that smile. And I was like, shit, I'm totally going to date this guy. 
that's kind of yeah. how. But that's we didn't date for a month at, until a month after that. We didn't right. see each other again for a month because mm-hmm. I was busy. How long after that first date did you quit smoking, Kevin? <laughs> not, Long time. Not soon enough. Not no, soon you enough. you quit, but then when you relapsed, you started smoking I quit again. And then started again and quit. You know, wh- who was it? Mark Twain that said I quit a hundred times. <laughs> Smoke is easy. I, I quit a hundred times. <laughs> no. Yeah. But he never smelled like it and he never smoked in front of me except for once when he was mm-hmm. drunk and he was blacked yeah, out. I was a polite smoker. Except really for was. that one time. Yeah. I didn't like to smoke around people unless I was in addiction and drunk and then I'm blowing smoke in your face probably. Yeah. You did. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. sure yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. But yeah. Yeah. So quitting smoking is very difficult. Oh, I like... Tough. I quit... Again, like a hundred times, and mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> finally got to like the tried the vaping thing, and I vaped for like two years and didn't pick up a cigarette. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's not a, that doesn't that doesn't do anything different, right? That's nothing. And so then I uh, just kind of smoked for like six months. But when we started this podcast, we would like smoke at the studio, and I was like, I'm just gonna have a pat. We're just gonna me and the my friend Courtney, the producer, we would just smoke at the studio, right? On Monday nights, stressful, getting up, putting everything up, getting together. We just smoked at the studio. That went on for like three months. And then I quit smoking and back to vaping again. And like just about a month and a half ago or so, I'm like, I've had enough of this shit. I cannot be spending so much money on the vape and all that stuff. And so started the first time ever trying, your boy Tommy Mm. got me on. uh, I heard him talking about the lozenges. So I got on the lozenges, uh-huh. and I'm still kind of like <laughs> off and on those things, sucking mint and lozenges. But I can relate to the struggles for sure, dude. Right. Like, definitely one of the most difficult things. I mean, I'm, shit, dude. Like, I smoked crack and did meth and stuff. And, like, <laughs> right. I am like, can't even like it's get off. Of, I can't get off the cigs, man. Now, you know? Let me ask you about the vapes because I didn't, I never went to the vape route. Mm-hmm. But when it first came out. I was like, people are are smoking this like uh, antifreeze. <laughs> essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like how is this better? Yeah, and and it's still kind of controversial, it's right? Very like, controversial. like they don't uh-huh. know exactly what's in there. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. But um, did you find that it was like I don't need cigarettes because oh, I'm totally. vaping now? Totally, and, yeah. yeah, totally. It totally fulfilled that that need for nicotine without mm-hmm. a doubt did. And I was, I, you know, the last probably close to a year, I was on the lowest dose of nicotine, like the three milligram, the lowest dose. It totally fulfilled that. Hmm. And the smells different. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, you could like, you could like fruity, like fruit loops and right. whatever. Well, that sinks. Yeah, whatever so kind of like, I was into like, the, I was into it. the dessert flavors, like the Krispy Kreme donuts <laughs> and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, uh, cornbread pudding was probably like my oh. all-time favorite. They have oh, that as a flavor? Yeah, that doesn't yeah. sound <laughs> cornbread pudding. <laughs> <laughs> Big old clouds. You, know? you, yeah, you so sick. Oh man, yeah, I have a hard time with those fake smells. I smell mm-hmm. them. I'm just like, oh. Somebody died recently, right? Like their vape blew up. Yeah, that's, that's happened. Yeah. It happens. But now everyone's bit. vaping weed. Now they're like, forget the the e liquids. Mm. We're just gonna smoke weed out of them, and mm. that's like right. the, that's the latest thing. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what that's all about. Or CBD, you know, yeah. one, one of the two. Um, <clears throat> it's medicine, dude. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, quitting smoking is no joke. Um, I know 
in treatment, like that's all we did is smoke. I mean, we before we even went to the gym, like first thing in the morning, we were in a big pit smoking, like smoke all day long. And when you get out of treatment, it's like that's it's hard because you've put so I've much in there, so you're much. so used to mm-hmm. it that yeah. When we were deciding what treatment facility to go to, there was like because we didn't have <clears throat> we were paying out of pocket. I didn't have um, insurance or Medicaid, and so I was paying out of pocket and um, had like two or three places on my radar. And the decision was made based off of which one I could smoke freely, right. not like on the like. Okay, you have an hour here, and a break, smoke break here. Like, when was the when can I walk outside anytime I want to have a cigarette? Okay, we're going to that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. When he went to detox, um, I was like the contact person to figure out where he was going mm-hmm. because they couldn't get a hold of him and they're like well we know you're not married but can you make decisions i was like i guess i'm gonna kind of have to and so like when we were getting places this seems so contradictory but places for him to narrow down to my questions were is he gonna have access to yoga is he gonna have access to meditation and can he smoke Mm -hmm. (laughs) like seems kind of asinine that i'm asking these three The first two are for me. The next one's for him. No, Uh he was doing a lot of yoga and meditation then. So that was very, very important. But, of course, the one he ended up at, he could smoke all he wanted. But what's yoga and meditation? But they told me that that was part of their program. But didn't really happen. No. (laughs) He said no. (laughs) Let's uh, kind of go there a little bit and talk about what that process was like. You had a little bit of time, clean time under your belt. Mm-hmm. I what? did. I and did like it's five six, months. Five, five months. Five months. I always thought it was six months. I was always one month ahead. <laughs> he, because he had Kevin's a number guy, and he likes like weird numbers. So he was going by some weird number system instead of day by day, and so he added a month to his. I did time accidentally. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I built up some time. It was great, um, and. That was before my father passed. That was five months, and then your father passed in May. My father passed, and I was sober at the time. Um, but that's that did it. Sure. Uh, it didn't hit me right then, though. Now, a little backstory with my father was that we hadn't spoken like 15 years. We had a big falling out when I was younger. Um Long story there, but um, both of us were very stubborn, didn't reach out to the other one. Big rift in our relationship. And I found out he was sick. And when I found that out, um, you know, I didn't think twice about our situation, any of that stuff. I I wanted to go see him. And um, me and my son went, and we went up to Buffalo, and uh, we visited with him. And that's he had just found out that he was sick at that point. And, um, man, it was a hard thing to watch. It was a hard thing to watch. And um, rep- having such a short time to repair that relationship was really hard, too. And these are things that I didn't really realize at the time. You know, I didn't didn't process all that stuff until after the fact. But um, watching the death process was really difficult. And that's part of the work I'm doing now with the Year to Live yeah. thing. Um, but... Um, I stuffed all that emotion away. Like I was really good at in my addiction was like, I'm not going to think about this. I'm just going to put it away. And, um, that wave hit me after he passed and man, I was a mess. That was, that was a real, it was a bad relapse. It was a real bad. I mean, I was a mess to begin with in my addiction, but, 
um, it kept getting worse. You know what I mean? And it's amazing that it could have got any worse, but it really did. What did it look like from your, your uh, point of view, Joe? Well, I just want to say he, the first five months that he was sober, he wasn't doing meetings or anything. He was like, I got this. I don't need, I'm like, do you think maybe yeah. you need to go to a meeting? No, I got this. From my point of view, it was extremely painful. I was there with him when his father passed away, and uh, I knew the history and just watched him. And there was many days when you know he would look at me, and we'd be in the car going to pick up food for the family while we were in hospice, and he'd look at me like, I want a drink. I'm like, let's go get a drink. And he'd be like, what? I'm like, if that's what you want, let's do it. And he's like, no, that's not what I want. I'm like, great, because I don't want to either, but like, it's your path. And so when it did happen, it was almost a month to the day, if my memory is right. It was real close. He and Brendan, his son, had gone out to play golf with the golf clubs. His father left him. It was the only thing, you know, his father really gave him. His father was a big golfer. And so they went and hit falls somewhere. I don't know driving what they were range. doing. Driving range, range yeah. whatever they were doing. I was teaching a yoga class. And when I came home, he was just like, a mess and Brendan was there and that was really hard um and then it he put his car in a ditch took two tow trucks to get it out the next day and I was like it's just it hurt me for him way more than it hurt me you know I mean I kind of saw it coming for a long time and uh I understand you know just from being in relationships with two other people that relapse is just part of the process and like I kind of was glad it happened when it did because it it needed to to get him into treatment and to get him to meetings but it was a good three month long relapse and it was Mm -hmm. awful and it was painful i ended up moving out one of our one of the blessings of our relationship is that kevin's been able to teach me how to not be codependent and so instead of feeling like i needed to stay and watch I was basically thrown out, which I was easy to, he doesn't probably remember that, but like, you know, he didn't want me watching it, of course, and he knew it was happening, and it was painful, and it was sad, and it was hard. I mean, I didn't sleep for many nights, you know, wondering, you know, sometimes I would drive over there in the middle of the night looking through the windows, and okay, he's still alive, okay, good, you know, and I called his therapist once, and I was like, what do I do, you know, and like, it was not not pretty. And then one night I was at a friend's house watching her cat and he called me at like 1130 at night. And he's like, I need you to come take me to the hospital. And I was like, are you okay? And he's like, for now. And I was like, okay, go outside, smoke a cigarette. (sighs) Stop drinking, go outside and smoke a cigarette. I'm on my way. And so I got over there and it was no hesitancy Mm -mm. on your part. No. Um, I figure if he's asking me to do that, mm-hmm. something's not right. And so no hesitancy at all. And um, that was even a bad scene, just walking in the apartment trashed. And he's so fall down drunk. He doesn't even remember any of it. And he, I made him check himself in in the emergency room so it wasn't me doing it. You know, he stood there and tears running down his face. And straight, I mean, you would have thought he was sober talking to these nurses and they're looking at me. I'm like, he's blacked out right now. And they're like, really? I'm like, oh yeah, like he needs to be in here. And so they just took him into a room and he told me to leave about three in the morning. So I did. And next thing I know, the next morning he's calling me mad as hell that I checked him into the hospital. I said, dude, if I checked you in the hospital, you wouldn't be talking to me right now. You'd be in the psych ward. Like you did that for yourself. 
and I left work and met him at the apartment. And by the time I got there, he had already called RHA's mobile crisis and was already like, I don't want to live like this. He's like, I'm going to end up killing myself. And who are amazing, by the way, big shout out to mobile crisis. They are an extraordinary group of people. They really are. They were there within an hour after him getting out of the hospital. Yeah, to be able to walk into any situation, you don't even know what you're walking into half the time. Um, that takes something. Yeah. It really does. Those people like save lives. They really do. Um, yeah, the, the scary thing, I mean, the scariest thing to me about my addiction was the blackouts. Um, I would obviously not know what I was doing, but I got into self-harm a lot, and that was my way of punishing myself and this is a twisted reality of course um but in blackouts it would be very heightened at that point and um looking back on it it was scary for like jill to walk in on that situation or a mobile crisis person or you know any of that and i still have a little bit of shame with that uh, you know I'm, I'm still dealing with but you know it's, it's really hard to watch somebody hurting themselves and that was a big problem for me on the advice of his therapist was like, you need to be safe first. And I'm like, but he's, you know, he's like, you do what you got to do, but you have to be safe first. And that was really hard. Like knowing, not knowing actually, if I was going to see him again, because some of the stuff was pretty brutal and having to be the one to tell him what he was doing. I even made some videos while he was blacked out and had to show it to him because he wouldn't believe I made him listen to his messages you know, all of these things. I'm like, you need to hear what you say when you're in a blackout. I don't want to hear that. For like months, I heard that. I don't want to hear that. And then he started listening to it. And he's like, oh, my God. You might be able to relate with that. I mean, have you ever heard like a <laughs> message or something you wrote? Yeah. I've, ta- I've, ta- I've said this before on the podcast, but I used to do podcasts by myself, blacked out, <laughs> annihilated in my apartment in West Palm Beach. Oh. Just like a playstation headset you know like a video yeah. gaming headset i would just sit there and just like ramble just nonsense right mm. just nonsense mm-hmm. yeah there's still a couple of those uh those i still have a couple of those files on like a flash drive at home and it's it's uh i wouldn't share them with anybody all right kevin right. uh speaking yeah. of jill actually sent me one of the, the voice notes. <laughs> yeah can we play that go ahead and play that I'm just I, I did have them <laughs> i'll for act a it while. out for you while we're here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just that's a really yeah it's an interesting thing to get a phone call and you're like what are you talking about mm. that wasn't even me it was old stuff i'm like that wasn't even me but it's yeah. it it worked. She went to detox here in Asheville. No, I went to detox in Waynesville. Okay, yeah. Yep. yeah. Well, you did um, check yourself in here. I checked myself in here. I went to the ER um, and spent the night there before going off to Waynesville. And um, I liked the detox at Waynesville. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, it was a good experience. I really didn't like at first, you know, I think anybody that goes into detox for the first time is like, you know, a little pent up, a little bit like, oh, I can't smoke. That's a big what? thing. <laughs> like, I'm going to flip out. Um, but yeah, no phone, no clothes. They put you in your jumpsuit or whatever you got to wear and the slippers and all that jazz. And um, yeah, I mean, that that part got me at first. But once I settled down... Um, 
it was something to that's that's when i opened up that's when really like when when people talk about vulnerability and like talking with other people and being open that experience started the process for me and it was sitting around with a group of addicts you know and talking about your stuff and having little meetings and just getting to know the other people and seeing what they're going through and it was just like oh this person just told me some shit that was like very real and they didn't hesitate and it's like now i feel like i need to share with them too and it, it's that reciprocity instant bonding group, yeah. with strangers <laughs> and um i haven't seen them since and you know i don't know if i ever will but those moments in that detox for a couple of days was just like powerful stuff mm -hmm. it was and it dried me out too <laughs> I, the, the key to getting initially sober i do believe is you need to be removed from your environment yeah. you know what i mean like my environment was very toxic and very like if i stayed there it wouldn't have ended well it's know? high risk you end yeah. up in jail you end up you know mm -hmm. in the hospital exactly and you won't make it you know mm -hmm. one of those three things are going to happen yeah um and then you decided to to do an inpatient treatment facility down in florida well, Shortly after. it was kind of like arranged for me. Yeah, so well, Jill facilitated. <laughs> well, I was in there. I yeah. sent his ass to rehab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was all news to me. It was like, you're off to Florida. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. they didn't give us a whole lot of options with what his insurance covered. And mm -hmm. because he was in detox and he was not able to have phone calls, they contacted me. RHA put this person in charge of figuring out where he was going to go to me and I got to essentially tell him where he was going. And it, there was one choice here. It was ADAC out in Black Mountain. And um, I had not heard great things, but I also knew that if he was there, I would try to go visit. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, I can't. I mean, I was going to try to come to Florida too, but it was like, it was further. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And um, I don't know. ADAC just seemed like it was way too close. Plus this other place, they made it knowing sound like what there you was yoga already, meditation there. Knowing what you had already been through and like past I needed past time behaviors. away yeah, from yeah. him too, mm -hmm. too, because like his relapse was so bad. It created so many issues. And I was, I think I was pretty compassionate the whole time and understanding. But after a couple months, I was just like, I can't be with you anymore. You got to do your own journey. Mm -hmm. My journey's going this way. I was a terrible partner. I really was. Uh, <laughs> awful. <laughs> that awful. Why wouldn't have stayed with me? You weren't that. <laughs> you weren't that great. He's wonderful now. Like so, he he went to rehab, and I told him I would move back in. I was like, I'm not gonna be with you, but I will move back in and pay your bills, and take care of the apartment until you come home, and then we'll figure it out. And there is some shit that went down while he was in too that we had to sort through when he got back but when he came back I mean he took me to Catawba Falls which he had actually fallen off of years before while he was drunk and survived Boy, the boys mm. got angels and he took me to Catawba Falls like within a couple days after he got home and we sat there for hours and he told me every single lie he had ever told me like immediate accountability it went on mm -hmm. for a long yeah. time yeah. it was like an hour and a half <laughs> uh -huh. and that was even harder it was hard yeah. and it was hard to hear it and i was like i need a minute or 12 weeks to let this all integrate <laughs> and let me feel how i feel about all of this but essentially like 
So you know there's this thing that happens and you fall in love with someone's potential. I think that's what I had done in our early stages of our relationship. But then when he came home, it wasn't just him talking. He started. He became that potential. He beyond what I ever thought he would be. And I know I mentioned this to you when we were just hanging out, but he's become my best teacher. He's taught me vulnerability. He's taught me dedication. He's taught me discipline. He's taught me restraint. He's so many things that he's taught me. I call him Captain Recovery all the time. Like he is not the same person when we started dating. He's not that awful partner. He has grown so much and changed so much and and done the work. And that's the that's all I ever wanted in a partner was somebody that was not perfect, knew it cuz I don't want that. That's too much stress. And wants to do their work and wants to grow. And he has done that so, I don't even, so many times over. I can attest to that because when he, you guys, we met through the Fellowship of Refuge Recovery. And the beauty, one of the beauties of Refuge Recovery is that we are not an anonymous organization. So we can have this conversation. Right. And that we met through Refuge Recovery. And I remember like when Kevin first started coming around. He was like just like gung ho on like all these trips and taking people out and going to yoga and like setting facilitating all of these. He like, started the activities. He started department. the activities. Yeah. And like facilitating all these activities and like being like just all over it. Like he like he owned it. He took mm-hmm. ownership of that. I was like, dang, who is this cat? Where did he come from? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's super neat to see that. And I see that in people. Um, Keith is now the um activities coordinator for refuge he was just like that it's so neat to see that and that i mean that's what people need you know when you throw yourself into recovery it's you know going in all like that i mean you have more strength and Mm -hmm. sobriety i really believe if you get more involved of course certainly Mm -hmm. yeah one of the things that um i've probably failed at it in this show is talking in detail about refuge recovery and kind of what it is. And, um, you know, we, we've had guests on from the, from the Sangha and we just like, I don't know how, how much detail we've gone into uh, as far as like what the program is. So I think like maybe we could spend some time kind of like going in, getting into like what it is and, Y'all got a lot going on out here in Nashville. Yeah, we do. And you also have a big event coming up next month. Right so, on. like, if somebody might, if this conversation might pique some interest, there yes. is opportunities coming up to kind of get involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the one of the first things that like I see with you guys is that um, refuge recovery is intrinsic in that it's open to individuals of any addiction yeah it's not specific to narcotics it's not Mm -hmm. specific to alcohol um it includes substances and behaviors Mm -hmm. um and any type of addictive addictive behaviors because the root cause of our addiction is kind of the suffering that we create through our clinging and craving to pleasure and Mm -hmm. our aversion to pain it's all it's all the same thing right and so we're 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 um, addressing the root cause, the root cause of our behaviors throughout throughout all of our lives. So, like, how did you guys get involved in refuge recovery together? How did that happen? And then, like, 
because you kind of talk about privately that you've have been involved in other fellowships before mm-hmm. too in the past um, and maybe present but like mm-hmm. what what is the difference what has refuge recovery done for you um, that maybe some of the other fellowships didn't sure you know, like yeah you touched on some some key points and um, one of them being I think what makes refuge a different program is that it's very accepting of other addictions and things like process addictions which can show up as an eating disorder it could show up as being addicted to technology um, lots of different shopping sex um, gambling, sex, gambling um, addictions addiction right but um, I think and I learned this from my rehab was that it's so much different than like AA can be hand in hand with it. Like a lot of people that do refuge will also do sure. AA and also the, you know, Noah who is um, considered the founder of refuge who's duly enrolled as I like to say, but um, that open environment makes a huge difference because I think a you're getting different viewpoints of how to stay sober and it's not just one way it's like oh this person's got an interesting idea and they don't have the same addiction that i do but i can get something from that you know their their input but um man how does buddhism not go hand in hand with recovery um you know i did an iop program right out of um, treatment and it was mindfulness it was very mindfulness based and um Buddhism's all about mindfulness, but watching what we say, watching what we, you know, what we, our actions, what we do, um, watching what we eat, like all these different things, being mindful plays in your everyday, you know, as trying to stay sober. And um, Refuge is really big on that. So they have a, a meditation at the beginning of every meeting, a 20 minute guided meditation, which is huge. And um, not only does it give you a chance, like you rush into a meeting, you sit down, and it's not like go. It's like, let's just ease into this, sort of. And uh, meditations can be really powerful for people, and they mean different things to different people. But um, it also gives you that time, like, that you're getting in the moment. And I, I noticed, like, the value of sharing is, is so much deeper to me. Um, I mean, it's it's very deep in all meetings, but... Um, it, it has a special quality to it after you meditate because you've really like collected yourself and that's important. Um, and that's a big part of refuge and, uh, very active. Like you said, Asheville is a very active refuge community where it's people going and doing things together and it's going outside the meeting, you know, that's, that's really important. And yes, the, um, regional conference is coming up March 15th through the 17th yeah i believe is the dates um so when i say regional that's anywhere from tennessee on down to florida um all the states in between and um representatives that are part of every one of those sanghas as well as people that just go to refuge as well as teachers um it's going to be really interesting and that's where we all met Mm -hmm. and had a good time and um Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that like Joe kind of hit on when we're talking about getting involved in yoga, uh, Mm -hmm. well, she, she specifically said that she hears all the time and I hear all the time people say, I can't meditate. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's just, and I was asking like, well, how do you get involved in yoga? Where do you start? That sort of thing. I think with like meditation, like 
Um, there's something extremely powerful uh, with the intentionality of a group of 20 to 50 people sometimes gathering in a one sacred place mm-hmm. to sit still. Even three. Even three, <laughs> yeah. And so like that's why when, when people come to me and say, like, where do I start? I would say go to a meeting go, mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. because that's where you're going to have that, that presence um, of the community, of other like-minded folks who are there, mm-hmm. intentionally there to do the same thing. And yeah. the guided meditations always help. And sim- they're simple. You know? They're basic. Mm-hmm. And who wouldn't say the Buddha was an, an addiction, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he indulged in every pleasure that was out there yeah. before he became enlightened, right? So, yeah. It's probably definitely a little different out here in Asheville. Um, being a much more liberal community than uh, where mm. I reside, but like you mentioned, that B word over in the Bible Belt of mm. rural <laughs> Appalachia, mm. and it's uh, it's kind of taboo, uh-huh. you know, it really yeah. is, and that's kind of like the 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 struggle that I've had is just like clarifying what is exactly it is that we're doing, and mm-hmm. um, I get a lot of like weird looks and a lot of questions and mm. a lot of like, oh, no, I'm not going to go to that. I, I'm I'm a Christian. I, I attend a whatever church, you know, and it's. Well, that's great because you don't have to, <laughs> you're not joining a religion. Mm-hmm. Buddhism is not a religion. And I think that's a really important thing. There can be Jewish Buddhists. There can be Christian Buddhists. There can be Hindi Buddhists. There can be any kind of, you don't even have to call yourself a Buddhist, mm-hmm. but it's an, it's an ideal it's a lifestyle, kind of like what we were talking yeah. about earlier with yoga. It's a lifestyle. It's how to be respectful in all of your words and your thoughts and your actions. And, you know, service is a big part of it. And, you know, just basically learning, you know, learning how to be a good person yeah. and stay sober. Yeah, I think like the, the ethical lifestyle in combination with the mindfulness and heart practices mm-hmm. um, make you aware of your behavior and so you know that like we are committing to a a specific lifestyle we're committing Mm -hmm. to this eightfold path that we're going to live um and through the meditation practice it allows me to see clearly when i'm not in line with that Mm -hmm. decision with that choice that i've made to live this way you know and and it ain't perfect dude like yeah you know like (laughs) we talked about doing yoga for certain years i mean i've been doing i've been in recovery with refugee recovery for over four years and like my brain still goes out there i somebody Mm -hmm. cuts me off and i'm still like fuck you Mm -hmm. but then like i i i see i find space Mm -hmm. in between the behavior so even though my mind automatically wants to go to worst case scenario or my mind automatically wants to go here i'm able to like see it before it happens, huge. before the reaction happens. That's huge. Yeah. Right? When you the talk moment about, of pause. Yeah, the moment of pause. And we yeah. talk about uh, addiction, and you're talking uh-huh. about addictive behaviors, like that's monumental. That's yes. make or break. That's a life-saving yeah. mm-hmm. moment, yeah. right? That changed the game for me. That changed the whole recovery game for me was meditation. It really did. And refuge was a big part of that. Like that, that being a big part of the program, you know, and I'll tell you two subtle differences, very subtle little differences between refuge and other programs. You don't have to identify yourself. I'm Kevin. That's it. I'm not an addict. I'm not label. an alcoholic. The label is dropped, and I think that's big. And there's no coin system. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, that was when I first relapsed. I didn't want to go back and get my, you know, I know that's a big part, like, go do it. 
Yeah. So you have to be responsible. Like I like that, but at the, the same time, it's the shame. With it. yeah. I didn't go back right away just for that reason. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And that's those two subtle differences yeah. can be huge in people. Some communities choose to like recognize clean time, but many don't. It's mm-hmm. not like something that's in the literature, if I'm not mistaken. That some some yeah. fellowships mm-hmm. do celebrate, but many many don't because right. it's not it's not something that's outlined in the in the literature. Um, and I agree with you for like the same thing. It's like, we're choosing to be mindful and we're choosing to live in the present moment. So what does it matter how much time I have? Yep. The only matter that mo- moment that matters is this one. Yeah, right? Exactly. So, What's yep. time? What yep. is time? Dude? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jill, what has attending refuge recovery done for, for your, <laughs> for your personal recovery? Like what you kind of, well, you, with? You asked um, how we found refuge, and uh, when Kevin came home from rehab, I had heard about it from a friend, and I was really wanting to go. I was going to AA meetings every day once he went to rehab, just initially because he had asked me to go and tell his fellowship where he was, and then I just loved it. It was a meditation group in the morning, and um, it was 30 seconds from the house, so I went every day for the whole month he was gone. And then he came home, and we started going together. And then I heard about refuge, so I had been hesitant to go. I waited till he got home, and I said, let's go check out this Buddhist-based recovery program and see what it's all about. And halfway through the first meeting, we just got done meditating, and they brought up the topic. And I don't remember what it was now, but halfway through it, I was like, oh, my God they're talking about codependency. Oh my God, that's me. And then, you know, like a a meeting later, somebody brought up something about an eating disorder. And I was like, Oh, they have meetings for this kind of stuff. (laughs) Like (laughs) I had never, when I battled with the eating disorder, the actual food restriction part, I was 11 to 16. So that was, Oh my God, in the eighties, you know, they didn't, I didn't know what's an 11 year old going to know about an eating disorder support group. And then that just kind of like went off into the background. I didn't deal with it. I just shoved it and was like, well, that's not who I am anymore. So I'm just not going to deal with it. And I didn't, I didn't have any of the behaviors. The mindset's still always kind of in the back of your mind. Um, you know, even getting dressed to do this pod, like, does this make me look fat? I'm like, did I just do that before I do a podcast about (laughs) eating disorders and body shaming? Yes, it still happens. And so, like, that's when it really hit me for me. I was going as a support for him, and then it was like, oh, wait, no, this is for me, too. And it was really therapeutic and beneficial for me, especially being in two relationships before, Kevin, two marriages with addicts where I was, I had shoved anger and bitterness and resentment way down because that's not how I want to live my life, but it was there. And so going to meetings really helped heal that for me too, hearing it from other people while he was a thousand miles away and hearing, oh, it's not his fault. Oh, he does love me. It's not about if he loves me or not. You know, that whole, like, if you loved me, you would stop drinking. I hadn't done that with him, but I had done that in the past. And so like hearing that from other people and just getting a clearer understanding of what he was doing. And then when he came home and we're going to meetings and I'm hearing him share and I'm like, I've never heard him say these things, you know, and being vulnerable and, you know, sharing things like so deep that it just, it was so healing for me. And then for, you know, initially for, well, 
not initially, but for our relationship too. That's kind of how we ended up deciding to stay together. It was going to meetings together and it was like, okay, I see that you're, you're really working it. And damn, we met you. Yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't for refuge, we might not have met you. We might not have been yeah. sitting at this table today. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. Um, the meditation through refuge recovery, the meditations, um, there's kind of two formats. There's like the mindfulness practices, um, you know, paying attention to your breath and your body sensations in the body, things like that. But there's also the heart practices. Um, and so I would like to ask you, like, what, what have you learned from each of those, right? Uh, when I first started, right, it took me, like, two years to even, like, get into, like, some of those heart practices. Uh, for those that d might not be aware, it's we're talking about, like, loving kindness, meta compassion forgiveness mm -hmm. i was like i was uh no no uh <laughs> i was like you know I, that's hippie shit man i don't need any of that <laughs> stuff i was like this meditation new age yeah it make the the mindfulness makes me feel good i didn't really hurt anybody i was making up i'd make a hundred all kinds of excuses i didn't really harm anybody but myself there's no forgiveness needed right the only damage that was done was to me you know, and so I just didn't want any of it, right? Mm -hmm. And it took a long time for me to get there. And when I did, like you kind of alluded to earlier, like with your yoga practice in the beginning, like the floodgates just opened up. And that's like two years into recovery after experiencing like some pretty traumatic events in my life um, in recovery. Mm-hmm. I decided to, okay, these guys must be onto something, right? Like, they're, I was invested in refuge recovery to the point I had experienced uh, the relief. I, I had remained sober for like two years. So I, I was like, they must be onto something. There must be something here. Mm -hmm. So I'm so, I'm so hurt. I'm such, I'm in such a vulnerable place. Let me just see what this is all about. And it was just like an eruption. Mm. There was so much shit down there that mm -hmm. I had just kind of like, buried and like avoided and not um and suppressed to the point where like they were like out of i was out of my mind you know like it just wasn't mm. wasn't present um so i guess what yeah you brought up the two practices and they're, they're very different and when i first got into meditation it was like oh what what is meditation besides sitting there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like not thinking like those are the two things i thought made up meditation but these practices, huge, I mean, and very different. So when I first got into it, mindfulness practice was the way for me, and I used my malas. Mm -hmm. So I would count my beads throughout the whole meditation. That really helped me focus, and I did that for a long time. Um, and that, that focus, you know, whether it be your breath, or whether it be your malas or a mantra or whatever it is that you repeat or focus on, that mindfulness piece, it, it bleeds into your life, right? It yeah. bleeds into the, totally. yeah. I mean, you, you're having that time to pause. You're like slowing down. You're thinking um, all that. It's, it's I mean, it, the, the way it expands is amazing. But then the heart practices, yeah, they take a little bit longer to get into, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And um, but boy, once you're into it, you're into it. And it's amazing people I've seen that do it for the first time at a meeting and they share about their experience with it. It's powerful. Like they, they really had, you know, this 
this experience, you know, right there at the beginning of the meeting and how much it meant to them. But for me, like forgiveness meditation has been huge. And they always bring this up too, is like, forgive yourself, you know, like that's something we always forget. But when you have so much guilt and shame and stuff, like you have to start to ease that a little bit. And through the meditations, like a practical way to do it. But um, also with my father, you know, like we had so much unfinished business that we didn't get to clear up. So it was like, how do I communicate with him now? Yeah. And how do I get that forgiveness piece of him now? And meditation, big for that. You know? And these heart practices were um, reciting essentially a mantra. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned forgiveness. Please forgive me. I forgive you. I forgive myself, you know, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you men- mentioned unfinished business. Yeah. All right. And... You know, I'm sure many things contributed to have led up to this point in your life where you've decided to really look at some of the unfinished business, some of the stuff that might be on the table that might not have been addressed through this refuge recovery and through the heart practices and inventories and things like that. What what uh what are you what are you getting into this year, Kevin? <laughs> I like your lead up. This yeah. is what you do, though. This is why you're a master. <laughs> so good. Um, so I I started this little group and it's very intimate right now, but um, it's around the book A Year to Live and it's by Stephen Levine Levine, however you want to say it. That was Noah's dad, or is was is Noah's dad. Um, so he wrote this book and it's all about like learning how to die. Yeah, that's, exa- that's exactly what it is. That's, that's what what exactly is. what it is. And I love this because big part of my addiction, huge part of my addiction was fear of death. Yeah, dude, totally. Huge. I think all, everybody. Right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then in addiction, I'm running straight towards it. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to die faster. Brilliant. Yeah, I don't give a shit about <laughs> life, right? Amazing. But um, this is, this, this. when I read the book, I was just like, wow, this is monumental. This is what I needed. And um, it's really nice to have the group. So at the end of the book, it talks about going month to month and having a small group and sharing this with a small group and how that can be a practice and how it can be like transformational for all people. And there's that sharing again, right? Like you're sharing something huge with each other, but um, learning how to be ready for death. I think this is, this is mega. This is such a big thing because it's like, I could walk out the door I could get struck by lightning, hit by a car, whatever it might be, and I'm ready for death because I prepared myself and I come to terms with it. And, um, you know, watching, you know, I've seen the death process now, and especially in recovery, you see it all the time, right? Like it's more apparent than ever in the recovery world. And, um, you know, my father was clinging to life. He didn't, he died kind of miserable, not happy. And um, that was hard for me to see. And I was like, ah, not me. I want to be very peaceful when it comes to that time, you know, whether it's an illness, a sickness, um, or a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. I want to I be in a peaceful place with it. And I'm learning that slowly. So there's meditations in the book. That's a part. Um, just keeping a journal is another big part. Um, started both those practices and we're a month into it me and my little group and uh it's great i love it and um i'm really hoping we make it through the whole year <laughs> but, but the whole idea is right like you have that year to live so um each month you're progressing towards your death and you you know 
decoding your emotions and um, how you're feeling about it. And at the end of it, you want to become fully alive, right? So you want to be living life to the fullest and mm -hmm. the most alive that you can be right before you die. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful, man. Yeah. So many people like are so faced. you in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't commit, man. I got... How do I die with all this going on? Yeah, you got a lot going That's on. That's what I was trying to figure out. I, I thought about I it. I got a mushroom for that. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> can, I, can I say one quick thing that I wanted to say about the, the heart practices and the yes, mindfulness practices? Yes, please, please. Um, it's really interesting to watch. I've watched it so firsthand with Kevin and it was such a neat thing to watch. I know what they're doing for me and how they've changed for me. I've always, it seems so contradictory that I've always really loved myself. Even when I was depriving myself of food and like these things go through my head, I still have always had a really deep love for myself, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but I'm lucky. Thank you, angels. What I got to witness with him doing the meditation, because he was coming with me to a different meditation center, and it was all just mindful, you know, well, mindfulness, I guess. And then um, I started watching. He came home from rehab and still just in this, like, shame and guilt and shame and guilt. I'm sorry I did all this stuff to you, blah, 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 you know, did this stuff to myself. And seeing what I saw in his relapses, which I won't get into detail, but it was not pretty, and then watching him meditate and over the course of the last year and a half, watching him do these practices and falling in love with himself, not like with himself, but in love with himself. Mm -hmm. And like that has been the most beautiful thing to watch. One of my teachers the other day at the studio said something to me about reflecting on watching me grow and watching me turn into a lotus and like all of this stuff. And I'm like, and she's like, I know what you and Kevin were going through. You're I'm like, I'm nothing. Have you been paying attention to what he's doing? Like he is a completely different person. It's just been a beautiful practice and like watching him process, I guess, but watching him do the practices and really like himself. The transformation was so huge. He decided he was ready to die. Time is good. I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I'm out. No, <laughs> yeah, but it's really interesting. Like what I'm finding with this process too, is that, um, you kind of do a life review. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, I've accomplished a lot of the things that I wanted to accomplish. And that, you know, I still have goals and, and dreams and things like that. But it's like, if I did die, I don't have that whole, like, I have so many things to do that I haven't done. I've done a lot of great stuff and it's awesome. And it's, you know, it's nice to be at that place in life and, anybody everybody could be you know what i mean like do you feel yourself that you know you got a million things that you have left to do no i wouldn't say left to do uh -huh. uh, i would say if anything there's just like um some guilt over like lost time mm, you know course. like being out there for i'm 37 years old i was in active addiction for half of my life mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so like i feel like there's a, a large i feel like i have a lot to make up a lot of time to make up for. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, yeah. no matter how much I forgive myself, no matter how much I continue to grow and to continue to um, learn how to love myself and continue to allow that to like blossom that you that you described, uh, there will still there's still that like missing missing time that mm -hmm. I need to make up for. I try to do that. And 
be happy with it, with whatever the outcome is, though. You know, that's the, mm -hmm. the practice. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, one other thing I was kind of like wanted to talk to you, Kevin, about was um, you're a father. Yes, sir. Of a teenager. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a man there. It's a yeah. man. <laughs> no, he's still a that? child. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, what, what, going through what you've been through, right? And him probably, like, witnessing some of that. What, how do you, like, how do you, how have you learned to, like, parent? How have you learned to, like, teach him? so many of those things that that you decisions that you probably would have you know preferred to do things that you would have preferred to do differently like how do you how do you approach your son in a kind compassionate receptive way that he would receive this message to like you know hopefully like inspire influence him to live the life that you're living today Mm -hmm. guilt and shame <laughs> 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 no it's crazy because he, he spent his whole life in my addiction i mean i was addicted 20 some odd years and um yeah it was his whole upbringing and i mean he didn't see all that and unfortunately um his mom was in addiction as well so he he got to see that on both sides and, um, yeah, I do have a lot, I actually do have a lot of guilt and shame around that too, that I'm dealing with, but, um, yeah, the transformation has been, been pretty different because I'm, I'm more present with him, which is very different. That's a very different experience because a lot of the times I just wasn't there. I was there, but I wasn't there. You know what I mean? And, um, that, that was a tough one because looking, like you said, it's like all that lost time. Yeah. Like, I'm like, man, where'd those little years go? I drank through them, you know, and uh, that, that really sucks. But, you know, now's the time. It's like when I went to rehab, he told me he was proud of me. And I was like, oh, big one, you know, like huge. Awesome. Thanks for saying that. Because he was somebody that I really thought like, just looked down on me, you know, like my dad's a fuck up essentially. And, um, it was big, you know, for him to say that and to, to actually watch me go through this process. Cause it's, it's taught him, like he's told me, I don't want to drink ever. I don't want to, you know, try drugs. And he hasn't, he's a pretty innocent kid, like mm -hmm. and young man. And rather. he's been to some refuge meetings with he's us. He's come which to refuge. Yeah. Tell us leaving a meditation. <laughs> I, Who think, I think we all do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> But he it was, was just meditating exposure. better than the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was awesome for him to, to see that. Because, like, if my dad would have taken me to a meeting or something, I would have been blown away. Like, I, I it would have had an impact on me yeah. big time. Or if he even talked about his addiction, you know, that would have made a huge difference between us. Because I didn't understand his actions or what he was doing or, you know, all that. And, um, you know, we, we had a... a counseling session together after I got sober and that was huge um it was big and we talked about a lot of the stuff about addiction and things like that and um yeah I mean he he continually was like I'm proud of you and um I'm trying to impart the meditation and like some of the, some of those things but at his age right now you know I, I don't think he's ready for it he, he's not that open to it just yet <laughs> He's not uh, against it. He's, he's meditated not against with it. us. Yeah, he's definitely, definitely meditated. Yeah. It's just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't uh, fully <laughs> he grasped hasn't onto it yet. He hasn't grabbed onto it yet. But as a parent, yeah, I mean, 
That's big. And it, and it's funny when I talk to people in recovery that are parents, that's such a source of pain for them and a hard, a hard thing to face. But it's also a huge motivator for people like people that I see now that are like, the only reason I'm sober is my kids, you know, and that's, that's big. Yeah, of course, definitely. And, and it's definitely, I'm glad to see that and not like the abusive side of, you know, parenting and stuff like that. Cause it could go either way with, with parents, you know, for sure. Um, <clears throat> this Kundalini stuff. What, oh, what now we're going to yeah, get into well, some What are you, now. like, what, so you're going to be, a te- you're going through the teacher training. Going through teacher training. What's the process of that like? And like, it's what are you going to do? Yoga University, yeah. apparently. My goodness. Uh, <laughs> you talked about like writing, journaling, or I, uh, no, uh, essay stuff or yeah, something. Yeah, we have been in, um, I'm not sure how, we're three-fourths of the way done. And it's okay. a nine-month, seven-month program, but it's split up into one-week modules. And we've had three but they're intensive and you're practicing and you're learning a lot of the background of yoga. Kundalini is the mother of all yoga. So all different yoga lineages have come from Kundalini. And so there's a lot to know about the chakras and the anatomy and the different systems in the body, the endocrine system, the digestive system. And Kundalini is a a yoga where everyone has energy stored at the base of their spine. It's just been proven. We have it. Most people don't know how to tap into it. And so when you do kundalini, you're learning, you're doing different breath work and different postures and different mantras and things like that. And it moves the energy up your spine all the way up through your chakras to the top of your head. And then it circulates around through the body, going to different organs and glandular systems and nervous systems and all these things. More so than how stretchy and how bendy you can be. That is involved. Yes, there's a lot of physical work involved. But... um. So the process to get certified is we have to write a couple of papers, which are curriculums, sure. and um, the other one is a test, which is all essay. So I just finished one paper that was a 10-class curriculum for beginners. The one I'm working on now, for beginners who have never done a yoga practice and like explaining all of the different facets of kundalini practice, but the one I'm working on now is a special population project, and it's a five-class curriculum with research on a specific population that you want to bring kundalini to that they may not be able to make it to a studio and so i'm doing mine on people in recovery from eating disorders okay not women people (laughs) i actually found out through this research that 10 to 15 percent of males make up the population yeah there's a 10 to 15 percent male population of people that suffer from an eating disorder it's just just not generally is known because men are less likely to seek treatment for it. So that's kind of like my my focus right now is and it I know what it's done for me with my recovery and like I have a lot of digestive issues now and I I can't help but think that a lot of it stems from when I was still developing and I wasn't feeding myself and so I'm sure that's probably part of it. But like doing exercises and breath works and mantras and things to heal those systems versus, you know, if I can stand on my head, that's pretty, which I can't. <laughs> Yet. Yes. <laughs> Maybe if I use a wall, I can. But um, 
you know, it's so, uh, pretty so important. Is this something that you're going to probably pursue once you get the certification is take it into some? I would love to. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I actually started, I don't know if you remember, I only did it for a few months and the attendance wasn't great, but I was doing a refuge yeah. recovery yoga class mm -hmm. and um, it probably was more the time than anything. It was on Saturdays. And, yeah. Um, but yes, I would absolutely love to take it into treatment centers and I've actually talked to substance abuse treatment centers about meditation and yoga and stuff like that. But then I got into this training, so I kind of put all that on hold because I don't like to do things halfway. I like to be full in. Do you have to have experience to take a kundalini class? No. You, you could be open to any It's any open to anybody. Level. Absolutely. And a teacher should be more than happy to offer modifications. Cool. That sounds sounds interesting. Joe's always talking about it on the podcast. He's always like talking about like you know he's kind of like into like psychedelics and stuff like that. And he's always talking about just various states of consciousness that can be achieved through well, Kundalini. And the interesting thing is Kundalini came to the West in 1968 from Yogi Bhajan, who mm -hmm. brought it here from India. And the reason he brought it here was because it was the hippie the days. Hippies, Everybody yeah. was all messed up and on drugs. And he's <laughs> like, you don't need substances. Let me show you what you can do with moving energy in your body. And at the same time, you become healthier, happier, and holy. That was like yeah. his big thing, the three HO. And um, it, he also said, I'm coming here to teach people. I'm not coming here. I'm coming here to teach teachers. I'm not coming here to get disciples or students or yeah. followers i want to teach everyone how to do this so you can go teach people how to do it and it's i mean there's a man in my training that's 69 years old and had a heart transplant five years ago what's up john yeah. <laughs> and wow. he's in there learning how to teach i want that to be me you got to practice <laughs> kundalini give me the 300 year old man come on <laughs> yeah. um before we wrap things up man like we spend a lot of time tonight talking about experiences and recovery and stuff like that but you guys are like also are into like traveling. I noticed uh, you traveled a yeah, lot this year. Um, what was that? What's up with that? How'd that happen? What do you do? We recently went to Ecuador for two weeks at Christmas with Kevin's son, and we both volunteer with the Literacy Council, Literacy Council of Buncombe County. I'm starting to lose my words. Um, and we both tutor English as a second language to folks, and my lady is from. Um, Ecuador and first day I met her in January of last year when I first started working with her she I asked her where she was from she said Ecuador she's like oh you have to come for Christmas and I'm like okay <laughs> sure every week for seven months she told me what the price of plane tickets were until they were finally she's like we bought our plane tickets today I want you to come and we bought them that day and we spent two weeks with her and her family all over Ecuador I mean we were going to family dinners it was a family reunion with like 60 people at some time and here's the three green cups <laughs> let me say if you're gonna eat the guinea pig which they call koi be don't, very careful because do I was I was pretty down and out <laughs> sick eating on the guinea pig. Don't eat the guinea pig. But I had to. You look like you're having fun, man. I seen you out there dancing and all dressed oh, up and stuff. Oh, we had so yeah. much fun dancing. Oh, yes. Yeah. We taught the Ecuadorian people some new dance moves. And big shout out to the Literacy Council because oh, they're, they're an awesome organization and um, service work. If you talk about service work and making a difference in somebody's life, teaching them to speak another language. And being over there, being in Ecuador really like drove it home because when you're trying to communicate with people and you don't speak the language, it's, it's 
Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. frustrating. Well, you got a feel for what it was <laughs> really like. Oh yeah. yeah, and you know, I'll just say on that same note, the literacy council needs tutors so okay. bad. They, they have cool. a nine-month waiting list for the Buncombe County Literacy Council. Mm-hmm. Cool. And we all know how to speak English. <laughs> Teach it to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that hard. You know. Well, listen, guys. Thank you so much thank for you. the time, for the invitation to your lovely home. Yes. How can people connect with each of you if they're interested in chaga? If they're interested in yoga? Uh, we're both on Facebook. Facebook? Jill Facebook's Love big. Um, um, or you can I, email. I just got my own website officially Boom. like yesterday, blueridgechaga.com. Yes. Pretty easy. <laughs> or Blue Ridge Chaga Connection. Sorry. Don't forget the connection word in there. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for tuning in to NC Raw. Visit our website at www.ncraw.life to subscribe to the website where you can receive exclusive content delivered directly to your inbox. Y'all have an awesome night. Thanks. Thanks. Peace. Bye.